Tonight I'd like to speak to you from John, the fifth chapter, if you would turn there. I spoke to you a little bit about this a few weeks ago before our dear brother, Reverend Richard Bennett, was with us. I'd like to return to a portion that I was talking to you about at that time, and I'll read uh, from the fifth chapter, beginning with the 32nd verse, and then going to the end of the chapter. There is another that beareth witness of me. Jesus is speaking here, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I received not testimony from man. But these things I say, that ye might be saved. Notice that. These things are said, that you might be saved. That's the whole purpose of the gospel of Christ, that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Now, you'll notice that John bore witness of the truth, number one. You'll notice that his works bear witness of him. That's in the 36th verse. John was in the 33rd verse. In the 37th verse, the Father bears witness to the Son himself. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which witness of me. So you have John, the Baptist, you have his works, Christ's works. You have the, uh, here the scriptures bearing witness, and you have his father bearing witness of Christ. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor of men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. Now, I want you to remember that. I spoke about I know you just previously about three weeks ago. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another? And seek not the honor which comes from God only. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Now, just two things here. As Harry Carl read the 17th chapter tonight, you don't have to turn there. But in the last verse he read, it says this, Jesus is speaking again, And I have declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I 
in them. Notice this. The love wherewith God loved Jesus may be in them. Take a lot of thinking here. You look into your life a little bit and begin to judge if this love is in you. Very, very, very important. That same kind of love wherewith the Father loved Jesus Christ, he says, may be in them and I in them. In the 23rd verse of that 17th chapter, which we didn't read, it says this, I in them, this is 17 John, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Tremendous statements these are. But the love of God, he says, is to be in them and I in them. There's a, a twofold great tremendous blessing here to the children of God. Christ in you, your hope of glory, and the love of God in you to shed abroad now. It's tremendous, isn't it? Yeah. Christ in you, the hope of glory, and his love in you, so that when Paul says that the love of Christ might be shed abroad in your hearts, we might fathom it. Now, if we go back to the place we're in in John 5. He says, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. Now, he has said in the 17th chapter that the love of God may be in them and I in them. Yet back here, he says, I know that the love of God, because I know you. And I don't want to stress this too much, but God knows you like no one else. You're an open book to him. You haven't hidden one thing from God. There's not a sin you've ever committed in secret because there are no secrets to God. It's only secret to man, that's all. But to God, you're an open book because he looks upon the heart. He, he knows everything you have done and you do. And I think if we once could get that consciousness in our heart that when we sin, Christ is there dwelling in our bodies. It's a horrible thing to think that we're putting Christ to the sin. But that is exactly what Paul wants us to believe. He says in Corinthians, Know ye not that he that joins himself to a harlot joins Christ to the harlot? You say unthinkable. But it can't be unthinkable if your body is the temple of God by faith in Jesus Christ. This is the absolute divine truth that you cannot separate Christ from you when you walk into sin. Because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's it, you see. 
He's with you, dwelling in you. So that if we got a deep consciousness of this thing, I think we would have tremendous victories over sin. If the thought when that first temptation comes in is Christ is in me, what I do, I'm bringing Christ. There is no secret. I am not hiding it from anybody since I'm not hiding it from him and he is the main one, the preeminent one in my life. And so Christ says, I know you that you have not the love of God in you. And beloved, I would have to say this, there are certain tests about the love of God, whether the love of God is really in us or is not in us. I, I don't think that we can just use a phrase like that without using some explanation. I think that this love of God and the love of God shed abroad in our hearts is what I would call evidential Christianity. It's the evidence of the new life. The new life is not stillborn. It's not life if it's stillborn. I hear people talking about stillborn Christians. There are no stillborn Christians. You're not a Christian stillborn. You are a Christian if you have been born again. But there is an evidential Christianity, and it is the doing of the word, as I said this morning, and not the hearing only. And I think that the best way to test whether the love of God is in us is to take the Scripture and to see what the Scripture has to say about the love of God. What does it mean when it says the love of God? I know, he says, the love of God is not in you. Christ must have complete tests in his own word of whether the love of God is residing in your hearts. He is saying in the 17th chapter that the love of our love might be in them that God's love might be in them and I in them, giving them that blessed hope which should purify their lives, as I said this morning, and then allowing them through a pure life to express love. You'll never be able to express love out of a sinful life. You'll never be able to understand what love is out of a sinful life. The Christian who is living in sin can never express love. You can't have the two dwelling side by side. Where sin comes into the life, the love of Christ departs. You can't have the two going side by side. It doesn't work that way. God's love throws, flows through a clean vessel. God's love can't flow through a vessel that's unclean. Jesus looks at them and he says, I know you, but I know you that the love of God does not dwell in you. It's not evidenced in you. There's been no evidence in your life. Now, I would think that if we would go to certain other portions, we could see what this love of God is and how it is evidenced, because God has a lot to say about it. Let me just give you a few scriptural verses, and then we'll talk about it. If a man loved me, this is Jesus. He will keep my commandments. Is the love of God in you? Hmm? If a man love me, he will keep my commandments. 
Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? The Lord puts it right before us, you see. You call me Lord, Lord, you live your own life. Stop it. If I'm Lord of your life, let me be Lord of your life. Let me direct your life. Let me do with you, mother, father, young person, what I want to do with you. Let me fulfill my will in you. This is what God wants to do. Why call ye me? You know, I'm always glad it's Jesus speaking. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? All that call me Lord, Lord shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Is that possible? Yes, yes. All that call me Lord, Lord, shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So God is telling us that just because people call Jesus Lord, it doesn't mean that they really know him as Savior and Lord. If a man love me, he will keep my commandments. In 1 John 3, the 23rd and the 24th verses, here's what it says. He will keep my commandments. Now notice this. Here is Jesus again. And this is his commandment. In the first epistle of John. This is his commandment. That we should believe. Notice what the commandment is. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Here's my commandment. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Number two, and love one another. Isn't that tremendous? That we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and number two, isn't it amazing what the number two thing is? Love one another. And I want to tell you that many Christians go down the drain here and love one another. As he gave us commandment, he repeats it again. And he that keepeth his commandments, notice, dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. You see the tremendous implications here that God places. He says, do you know what my commandment is? If ye love me, ye will keep my commandment. Lord, what is your commandment? My commandment is that you should believe on the name of Jesus Christ. And number two, the mark of that faith will be a deep and abiding love for each other. What do you think the early church's great great witness was to the world when they went about. You'll remember, you read it, and they said, see how the disciples loved each other. This was their witness to the world, that they loved each other. And so this, when Jesus says, I know that the love of God is not in you, he's looking into your heart, and he's saying to each of you tonight, is there real love? Have you some feelings about some individual? God says, this is not the kind of love I had for you. He says, I want the same kind of love that the Father had for me and I had for you to be in you. What kind of love did I have for you, Jesus says? When you were yet sinners and afar off, 
and way out in sin I loved you and I gave myself for you. He didn't come and he didn't love you because you were lovely. He loved you though you were very unlovely. And this is the kind of love God is calling us to, to not love the... He says, if you love those who love you, you have your reward. But if you love those who despitefully use you, this is commendable to God. And so this great love that he wants to be manifest in us has certain requirements. He says, I know you that the love of God is not in you. So we look into our hearts tonight, each one of us. Look at every little area of your life. Look at the family that you're in. I don't know anything about your families. Do you love your brothers and your sisters in your family life? They may be outside of Christ. I don't know. I'm talking of blood relationships. But in the church, beloved, there is to be a deeper and a holier love as there is that love within us which Peter speaks of. He says, and brethren, love each other with pure hearts fervently in the Lord. Notice what he says, in the Lord, love each other. And I always like what he puts with pure hearts, lest anybody get any vain ideas about the love that he's talking about. He says, this is a love that is born of the purity that God wants in your heart. And if your love begins to shade into anything of the flesh and begins to be involved with emotionalism with a brother or sister who you should have no such relationships with, not of God, but of the devil. Love is of God. And it's not affectional love. It's not eros. It's not passionate love. It is agape, God's love. God's love. And so this love he wants manifest. But he says, I know you that this kind of love, this love of God is not in you. And each of us must test ourselves by the love of God. What kind of love do you have? What kind of love is there in your home life, in the family life, father and mother, husband and wife? Is it deep? Is it abiding? Does it overlook all the little flaws and the failures and all of the frailties? Does it overlook it? Does it look at the basicness of the person that you've married, that you loved and way back in all of the romance and brought to marriage and then has that love grown or has it depreciated? Has it depreciated? Now, God wants that love to build. It's to build down to the grave. And boy, I've said it before and I say it again, I feel sorry for the marriage that's lost its romance. And you don't have to be Irish to be romantic. I'm really sorry for the marriage that's lost its romance. It's lost its fire. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. God wants this kind of love to be manifest in our heart, a deep love, a love for God that will be shed abroad. And in the 17th chapter, he says, this love is in them and I'm in them. But here in that fifth chapter, he says, unfortunately, I know you and I know the love of God. It's not evidenced in your life at all. Let me read you another one. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
<laughs> man, you could stop there, couldn't you? Huh? If a man says he loves God and hates his brother, did you, you know, God can be very terse, can he? You might hope he'd beat around the bush a little bit here, say you ought to get straightened out. He said he's a liar. You don't love him. Because you can't love God and hate your brother. Not possible. That's all it is. If a man, notice it again, say, he gives the whole thing. If a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So that God allows no escape at this point, you see. There's no such thing. Don't ever try to excuse yourself to God. This is one of our greatest problems. We try to excuse ourselves. We try to rationalize that our case is different. That God must understand the condition under which I live and no one has ever faced this problem that I have and there's a reason for me feeling about that member of the family that no one else, you know, you're going to rationalize. This is why, if you knew what they did to me, I know what they did to Jesus. And I know he loved those who stood at the foot of the cross and crucified them and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So we never to try to rationalize away our sin. We have a great capacity for rationalization. We do it with everything in our lives. We feel if we're not loved properly, if our wife isn't more, uh, doesn't undertake more in our life with us than anybody else in all the world, that we have a perfect right then to sort of break loose because we feel that we have not really experienced all that life can offer to us and uh, we rationalize it away. And surely God will understand this. I deserve better. You only live once and uh, death comes and it's all over. I've got to experience this. And you don't have to experience it because you'll experience tragedy. You try to rationalize sin away that somehow you've missed something and you're going to catch up and you're going to find it in some other person. I warn you, God will bring you down so deep in despair that you'll be just the same as David of old and you'll experience everything David went through. And it was warned to us so that it never would happen with us. He says, these things are written for you so that you won't get into the same situation. And so we have to be terribly careful in... Our loving. Let me give you another one. First John three, seventeen and eighteen. Notice it's all first John. Whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shuts up his heart. That would be the better word here. His heart of compassion. How dwelleth the love of God in him? You see a brother who has need and you shut up your heart of compassion. God says, what are you talking about the love of God in you? You know, do you, when you read in the book of Acts of the early church, it's a thrilling thing. Of course, communism has tried to copy this idea. They, they sold all that they had, all the disciples. They shared with each other, it says. And it says in the book of Acts, and they saw that no one went hungry. Well, that's wonderful, isn't it? 
And God is saying to everyone that really says they love him, how could this be? Whoso hath this world's goods? And you see your brother has a need. You know of that need, but you brush it aside. And shuts up his heart of compassion. How dwells the love of God in him? It's almost as though God is, is, is trying to ask us, how, how can this be, don't you see? Can't you understand what I gave for you? Can't you understand if you look at the history of the church, the early church, how this love was amongst all of the disciples for each other? They yearned for each other. They burned for each other in their love. And they wanted to undertake for those who had needs within the fellowship. Beloved, where would that heart of compassion be? How can the love of God dwell in you? He says that this is not so. Then if we went to a little further down, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If you do not love, you do not know God. If you do not love as Christ loved, you do not know God. It's an impossibility, and this is what I'm afraid so often we have not realized. We have taken this new birth experience as though it's a matter of some mental ascent to a doctrine. I want to tell you it's not. The heart is converted. It is with the heart that a man believes. Mental ascent to what the Scripture says has never saved a soul. You can mentally assent to all that the Bible says. And people read the Bible for literature. They read it for all kinds of reasons. And they mentally will assent to much that's there. But I would remind you that it says that with the heart man believes. For God looks upon the heart. And the mind, beloved, is converted. And the mind is transformed that it can understand the things of God. But mere mental assent to doctrine is that which gives no great love in the heart. It merely is some academic reading and saying, it says Jesus Christ is this, is that, is that. Mentally I assent to it. God is saying, now wait, there has to be something happen within the breast. Your heart has to be converted. You have to come to the place where you acknowledge yourself as sinner, unclean, unfit for God's presence. And that power of the Holy Spirit comes upon your life and you see Christ crucified for you, dying for you upon the cross. You see Him bleeding and dying in your place and you say, Christ died for my sins. This is the means of my redemption and the love of God overflows into you. You understand what the great love of God is in that He gave His only begotten Son for you and that love flows into you. And from that point on, the love of God begins to flow out of you. And this is real conversion. Yeah, there's a lot of stillborn Christians, but they're not Christians. The new birth has never happened. They don't understand, understand a thing more about the love of God in their life and the love of God for people than the man in the moon. Because the real power of the Holy Spirit has not been manifest in their lives. They haven't learned to hold their tongues. 
They haven't learned to love deeply. They haven't learned that it is Christ in them to love through them. Instead, beloved, it's been everything else but that. But it has not been real conversion where the heart has repented of its sin, been converted and died with Christ, and is risen with Christ on the resurrection side of the grave and says with Paul, it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me now to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, that's different. That's different. This is the new life. This is that which is brand new. And I have to say, beloved, and it troubles my heart many times when I hear invitations given upon the basis of you want to get to heaven, believe on Christ. Listen. That has nothing to do with the conversions that God talks about. Every conversion that Jesus talks about is, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Arise. And if there's no conviction of sin, there's no conversion. There's no one here tonight that's ever been converted because you thought you could have Christ and get into heaven. God's not interested. Your motive is poor. Anybody wants to get to heaven. If your conversion is based upon the fact that you've said, I am a sinner. I need the grace of God. Grace is unmerited favor. I need the grace of God to redeem me. And do you understand that it is a conviction of sin that's come into the soul? And I am very doubtful. I am very troubled sometime when I hear some messages that sort of sweep you into the kingdom of heaven on some glib chorus or somehow just say, now listen, the only way you can get into the kingdom of heaven is believe on Jesus Christ. I want to tell you the only way you get into the kingdom of heaven is to have your sins forgiven and believe that Christ died for you and he paid the penalty for a man's sin. And that that resurrection power put the seal upon the cross and the redemption there is in Jesus Christ. And God wants that love to so flow into us that we understand. Have we understood the love of God the Father for us? That's what John 17 says. That they may know this love which thou didst have for me and hast for them and then that that love may be in them that was in us. This is the... Listen, do we have that kind of love? Do we? This is the kind of, you know, this is the kind of love that gets concerned about neighbors. This is the kind of love that gets concerned about children. This is the kind of love that gets concerned about salvation for others. This is the kind of love that can't sit in pews and listen to messages without wanting to do something for God. This is the kind of love that pours into a man's soul and says the most important thing in your life is salvation and other salvation. And everything else is tinsel. Beloved, until we reach that point, we'll never understand the love of God for us. Until we understand that the only reason this earth exists is one. It wasn't made to build houses. It wasn't made for corporations. It wasn't made for money. It wasn't made for wealth. It wasn't made for the cattle on the hills. It was made for one reason. God wanted a family for himself. And this is the scene where he's going to get his family. That's all. Because the scripture says, all of this shall be swept away. And then we shall dwell with him forever. You have no legitimate reason. You have no reason to find any other 
purpose for the creation of this earth. No man has a purpose. You can listen to your politicians. You can watch the wars of the centuries. You can see the swaying of man back and forth across the face of the earth. You can see the astronauts. You can explore the moon. You can do it all. Science says it's all going to perish. And God said it long before science did. And so the only reason God ever put an earth here was one, that he might get a family for himself. And that's all. Because only that family will outlive the earth. Isn't that wonderful? His family. Do you conceive of this? Do you conceive of this, you see? So important. We, we, we're liable to get enmeshed with the world. God warns us continually, you know. Be careful. Don't be ensnared. Watch yourself. All, it's a, how would you understand this otherwise? All that is in the world is at enmity with God. That's a hard statement. But God is saying, don't you understand? It's all going to pass away. The only thing in God's eyes that means anything is our salvation. God's not interested in the kings of the earth, the princes of the earth, the affluent society. He's not interested in the fact that, oh, what's his name, Anasius or something has a billion dollars. Who cares? Who cares? He's not interested in that at all. How do I know that? Jesus makes it clear. He says, I pray not for the world, but I pray for those that thou hast given me out of the world. For the world and all that there is therein shall perish, but the children of God shall never perish. This is the concept, you see. Then the love of God can flow through you. When you get the concept that you're an, in, you're an unusual person because God has redeemed you, you have become a son of God. You're not a citizen of this world. He says, your citizenship is in heaven. He says, you are not of this world. I have called you out of this world. Tremendous understanding. What he's saying is, the earth to you means nothing. It won't even mean anything to you in the glorified earth. I'm going to do that for Israel. I'm not doing it that for you. You're going to be with with me in glory. So do you get the concept, you see? Do you really get the vision? Men's pocketbooks would loosen up. Our lives would become holier. We would see things in the grand panoramic view of God. We would see an eternity and a heaven to come we would understand that God placed this earth here and put Adam here and that from Adam we can trace all the way down from Adam to the coming of the new earth that God's purpose from Adam down was to get a family from himself and in Genesis 3.15 he tells that that is going to be accomplished. He'll crush Satan but he'll save man. Wonderful. This is the divine purpose. Have you got the vision? Without a vision, the people, what? You perish. Where do you perish? You perish in your soul. 
You've got an improper concept. You don't see it. You haven't got the vision. Now, I know the Daily News may use that. It doesn't mean much to me. Their vision and mine is quite different. But the vision that I have is of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that I'll impart it to you in a deeper, richer, holier way so that your vision of life will be a vision that understands all of creation, all of why you're here, and why God has redeemed you, and why God wants that love shed abroad in your heart. Hereby shall all men know that you belong to me and that you love one another. That's it, you see. He says that love is a love that's deeper. Than, and he says you didn't get it on your own. You couldn't love thy than your flesh if you tried. He says, I want to get rid of your flesh love and I want to get a love in there that loves not because of flesh. If all the flesh can give is the lust and all the rest, it perishes pretty quick. But when a husband and wife or brethren in the Lord love each other in Christ, when the old flesh has long since died, that love is deep and holy and romantic and beautiful and good because Christ is in. That's what makes a difference. Now, you've got to get the understanding. You've got to have the discernment. This is what you really want in your life, but you've got to hold on to Christ and say, Lord, I will not let thee go till thou bless me. Teach me more and more of thy love because it's spoken of time and time again. And as we just read, it says, God is love. And it's manifested in us from the born-again experience to the lost outside, to the redeemed inside, to the family that you're in, to the business you're in, the love of Christ. You can't divorce any area of your life from this. You can't say, in my family I practice it, but in my business I forget it. You can't say, in my family I practice it, but in school I forget it. You can't divorce one area from the other. If it is to be evidenced in your life, it's to be evidenced everywhere in your life. So may God do that for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy blessed Word. Bless it to our hearts, Lord. May we really love this way. Pray more than anything that it might be manifest in family life. Because the flesh can easily get dissatisfied and crave for other things. And Lord, there's nothing but despair, unhappiness, and misery to the children of God. But we're thankful that when the love really comes into us, as Jesus says, I know you, that that love's not in you yet. <laughs> and yet in John 17, he says, Now, Father, I want that love that you loved me with to be in them, and I in them. I want to live in them and through them. And I want to express my love in them and through them. Father, we pray for this. God, touch our hearts. Help us to understand. Help husbands to look at wives a little differently. Help them to see them in a different light as God does. Help them to love as Christ loved. When we were married, we remember it says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, be in submission to your husbands. Love your husbands. But, oh, Father, we recognize that first there must be the love of a Christian husband to get the response of a holy, submissive wife.
put your hand upon family lives, upon individual lives, those who may not be married. Lord, may they have that wonderful bridegroom in heaven and express his love to a dying world and to all around them. Bless us tonight. May that tremendous statement, God is love, may it be manifest to us who have found Christ as Savior and have accepted his death as our death and his resurrection as our resurrection, knowing that he's coming again to take us to himself. Father, manifest thy love to us and through us. Give us comprehension of why the world was made. The planets aren't out there and the stars for anything except for the children of God. Eye hath not seen nor ear heard the glories which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The world will never see what we shall see. Help us to comprehend it. God's getting a family. That family will know the universe as no scientist has ever known it. Put your hand upon us tonight, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.